right timing is to exit from them, and then developing a very sober plan so that we meet our goals. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome back to Money for Nothing. I'm your host, Renita Malhotra-Hora. U.S. stocks face their biggest loss in almost seven weeks. Hong Kong students lead a democracy fight with class boycotts. And Apple sells a record 10 million iPhones in its first weekend. Today, we'll talk about VIEs and China Tech with Frederick Ogvist of China Rai. He's an independent analyst in China. We'll also tap into the natural beverage market in Asia with our guest, Jane Gottschalk, who is the founder of Jack's Cocoa Coconut Water. And all of this... With our guest host this morning, sales trader and financial commentator, Andrew Sullivan, uh, who we are still waiting for. So let's, in the interim, take a first look at the top stories of the day. Stocks worldwide finished decisively lower, retreating from last week's records in a decline blamed on profit-taking and anxiety about China's economic growth following a run of soft economic data. The Hang Seng Index declined 1.4% to 23,955, its lowest close since late July. Other major markets in Asia were also weaker. In Japan, the Nikkei average ended down 0.7% at 16,205. In Australia, the ASX 200 lost 1.3% to 5,362. While in South Korea, the Kospi pulled back 7 tenths of a percent to 2,039. Same situation in Europe. The FTSE 100 was down 1%. The DAX and the CAC 40 were down half a percent and 4 tenths of a percent, respectively. In the U.S., stocks were also hurt by a report showing that fewer Americans bought homes in August. Sales of existing homes fell 1.8% to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 5 million. The Dow stood at 17,172, down 107 points or six-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 fell eight-tenths of a percent to 1,994. And the Nasdaq sank 52 points to 4,527. The worries about China also pushed down the price of oil. Brent crude fell 1.4% to $96 a barrel. The Japanese yen has been trading at six-year lows against the dollar in anticipation that the U.S. Fed will raise interest rates next year, while the Bank of Japan will maintain an easy monetary policy. The dollar has edged down to 108.7 yen, and the euro rose a fraction to 1.28 U.S. dollars. Andrew, good morning. How are you? I am, I am very good, and I'm very glad to see you <laughs> making a dash for it, there uh, you go. as they would say. So uh, to bring you in, uh, you know, right at the head, all the numbers are in red. Should we be concerned? Well, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, the G20 really kicked it off by saying that they were worried about, you know, central monetary policy generally. So investors are obviously going to be more cautious as a result of that. So what are we looking at then later in the day, starting out here in Hong Kong and Asia and sort of going forth to the rest of the world? 
Well, I mean, obviously today it's a slightly strange day, obviously with Japan closed. But uh, you know, we've got the uh, HSBC manufacturing PMI here for China, and people will be watching that very closely. The last month it came at fifty point two, so it's very, you know, it's right on the brink there between expansion uh, and and possibly uh, you know going below that. I think would be another negative ind- indicator, especially as we've had uh, President Xi saying that uh, you know there's no new stimulus really planned by China, and, and people are going to be very cautious about. That because a lot of them, a lot of the data that we've seen coming out of companies has been, you know, it's been okay, but there's been nothing spectacular there. You know, they've met analysts' expectations, uh, but we're not seeing real growth, and I think that's what investors are waiting to see. Now, is that in itself a cause for worry? The fact that um, you know analysts don't have very high expectations, and despite the fact that uh, you know growth looks to be a worry, uh, President Xi is not uh, sort of giving us any carrots. Well, I mean, he's he's coming from a slightly different perspective. I think, you know, growth in China this time last year we were looking at seven and a half percent. You know, now he's maybe looking at seven percent. You know, relative to the rest of the world, that's still you know very impressive growth number. But yeah, and against that background, he doesn't want to waste his money. He's trying to deflate a property bubble in in China. He's trying to encourage people to diversify their investments. He's really trying to educate people to have a diversified portfolio, which in the past they haven't had. So why this hue and cry around the world then? All of the markets seem to have reacted to this story of a gloomy, or possibly gloomy China. Well, I think I think that's you know the the G twenty was meeting. They're concerned about the growth in in Europe. Uh, Draghi has said that more stimulus. You know, he'll do what's ever needed. But the markets aren't convinced by that. You know, he's reduced interest rates. You know, central, you know, the big banks now pay money to leave their, their, their overnight cash with the ECB. Uh, they can't find people to lend the money to. America, we're seeing slow growth. Uh, it, it, it's quite patchy, but generally, you know, it's on the right perspective. But we're not seeing any dynamic force. People are still concerned about Arbonomics. Um, you know, he says he's going to go ahead with the, 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 the next sales tax hike. But, you know, the last one did show a slowdown in spending. So the only real growth driver that the world is looking at is China. And, you know, it's worried that if, if it slows from 75 to 7%, that that's going to have a knock-on effect. Indeed it is. Uh, the U.S. that you bring up, I mean, that's an interesting one because it's sort of patchy is, is, is a good word that you used. A uh, little up, a little hope, a little down. Um, but despite everything, so the housing data is not good and employment figures are not where they want them to be. Um, what does that mean? Well, I think, uh, you know, if, if we look back to looking at the uh, the UK, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it went through a huge structural reform. You know, it went from being a manufacturing uh, centre uh, to being very much a service industry, uh, really because the cost of labour was too high. And I think the same is true in America. You know, there are lots of places that it's cheaper to make cars than America. You know, you don't have uh, Obama health care tax. You don't have to pay benefits. You don't have to pay uh, redundancies. And it's easy to, to move workers if you're building a plant in India or China. But in America, it's very expensive. They've got very strong unions. The unions are obviously out there to to protect their members. But that's not good for for investors, and it's not good necessarily for industry. So we've got to see a bit of a structural reform take place. But all of that takes time, uh, and that, I think, is what America is grappling with at the moment. But when it comes to this structural reform, is it realistic to really expect to see employment figures go up, given everything that you say? 
Well, no, I think it, I don't think it is. I think uh, you know you've got companies that are doing share buybacks, and and realistically, you know that obviously helps the share price. But it really tells you that the the guys leading those companies can't find investments that are worth putting the money into, uh, and that's a concern. You know they're not investing the money because they can't see the demand for their products, and they can't see the demand for the products because the consumer is not out there spending. The consumer is not out there spending because you know they're worried about their jobs. They're not seeing very much wage inflation, uh, and, and it's a sort of vicious circle. And, you know, historically, this is what the central banks have always had to grapple with. Okay, well, let's uh, move on to the UK for some more news stories of the day. The British grocery giant Tesco has announced that it overstated its most recent profit forecast by 400 million US dollars. That's led to a 12% nosedive in its share price and the suspension of a clutch of senior executives. Tesco's new chief executive, Dave Lewis, explained how he heard about it. On Friday afternoon, I was alerted by my chief legal officer of an accusation that our reported profit for the first half year was overstated. Immediately, we launched an investigation which happened over the weekend, and that investigation led me to think that there were some things that we needed to investigate further. So we made a communication to the regulator, and we kicked off a full and detailed inquiry to find out exactly what has happened. In Hong Kong, thousands of students from universities and colleges across the SAR have launched a week-long class boycott with a rally at the Chinese University. They are protesting against Beijing's conservative plan for political reform here. The Federation of Students says that 13,000 took part in the rally. Democracy now! Democracy now! Democracy now! Democracy now! The main purpose for it is to awaken more Hong Kong people to join the social movement. And we have two paths ahead. One is to engage in civil disobedience action, and one is to launch, say, a market strike or labor strike. That would be another level of the social movement to generate pressure to the government. I think uh, we have the ability to change them, but uh, more citizens should support us. I don't know, because, because I'm just a small potato here. I think that um, with all the support of students, it will work. It could be possible to go to jail, so we are ready for that. Of course, our parents would be wary for that, but without sacrifice, you could really hard to propel the progress of democratic reform in Hong Kong. Voices from outside the Chinese university uh, speaking to the fact that the students appear to be ready to go to jail. Professor Chan Kin Man said that the turnout showed that the spirit of democracy is alive and that their movement won't be defeated. He spoke with Richard Pine. I think it's very encouraging uh, to witness so many students coming here to join the uh, student strike. Uh, it, it means a lot to me. Uh, as long as uh, the, the spirit of democracy is uh, alive, I believe that uh, our movement will not be defeated. So it is a very important day for me today. Mm. And you think the student boycott can actually bring about some real change? I don't know for short term whether it will bring real change. Uh, but we shouldn't just focus on a battle. It's a war. So we should have a longer range perspective to look at it. As long as the spirit of democracy is alive, I think we will be, remain hopeful. Do you think this can create some sort of momentum for the Occupy Central? Well, we are appealing to different uh, group of people in the communities. Uh, students, young people have been doing a lot in these years fighting for justice. And we believe that those uh, middle-aged people, uh, adults, should shoulder their own responsibilities. So we are appealing to different communities. 
Another core Occupy Central organizer, Benny Tai, said that the turnout should send a strong message to the central government. He spoke with Stella Tsang. I think that clearly shows that the uh, Hong Kong students, uh, university students, they are very, very committed to the uh, cause of universal suffrage. And uh, I think they will use this opportunity to uh, demonstrate their determination about um, having a wanting universal suffrage for Hong Kong. What do you think this will show to the central government? Well, I think this message is clear that the central government must consider the uh, determination of our young people. Actually, the, the future generation is here, and they have sent out a clear message. And I think a government that cannot get the support of uh, the young people will not have a future. Andrew, this brings back memories of so many other student protests, you know, and Tiananmen Square, UC Berkeley. Do students really have the power to make the difference? And what does this mean for Hong Kong as a financial centre? Well, I think, you know, definitely students have the power to make a difference. I mean, you know, they are the future. They're going to be around for years to come. So they have a lot longer to uh, to maybe to support the cause than, than maybe some of us slightly older people. Uh, but, I mean, I think, you know, realistically... You know, I think the students are taking a very good attitude. You know, they're not being confrontational. They want to bring and keep the uh, this item on the agenda. Uh, China, though, has made it very clear that in the short term it is not prepared to compromise, which I think is a, a missed opportunity. You know, it has the chance to use Hong Kong as a test bed for future change. But at the moment, you know, President Xi's got, got other issues on his mind. He's, you know, he's, he's trying to uh, reform China. He's trying to change the corrupt system that is there at the present. Um, and it's, it's a radical moment for China. Uh, and at such a radical time, you know, he's got to be focused on, on China, the mainland, rather than Hong Kong uh, and its wish for democracy. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a worthy cause for the students to be involved in. Uh, but, and I hope that it will be a, a long-term perspective that they take. Indeed. All right, let's look at one more news story. Apple says that it has sold a record 10 million iPhones in the first weekend after its new larger phone models went on sale in 10 countries last Friday. It says that the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus drew more than 4 million pre-orders on September the 12th. That's more than double the 2 million orders for the company's iPhone 5 model in the same period two years ago. Here's Rita Foley from the Associated Press. Apple says demand's even better than they thought it would be for the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. The new phones start at $199 with a two-year service contract. What do you get with your new iPhone? A larger screen, faster performance, and the phone has a wireless chip for making credit card payments. Well, Alibaba's IPO has put the VIE structure into the spotlight. And VIE, uh, variable interest and and a variable interest entity. Uh, to explain to our listeners what that means is that investors in Alibaba won't actually be buying equity in China's biggest e-commerce company, but instead they will buy into a firm that owns the rights to participate in the revenue created by a handful of Alibaba's e-commerce and advertising businesses. Joining us now from Beijing to talk about this is Frederick Ockvist of China Rai. Good morning, Frederick. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, Frederick, given all of the scares out there about the governance of Chinese corporations, should we be concerned? Well, I mean, it's 
sort of hard to invest in Chinese internet if you're not comfortable investing in VAE. Certainly there are areas of concern here. And um, I've spoken before, and uh, Alibaba does have a lot of layers of sort of corporate governance issues. You have the dual class shares, you have the uh, the special committee that essentially controls the entire company, and then on top of that you also have the VAE structure. But uh, for investors in Chinese equities, VAE structures isn't really anything that's very new anymore. So what you really want to see is you know, a little bit more detailed look at the VAE structures of Alibaba compared to the other companies, perhaps. And, um, that and, type of thing. and how does it compare to that of the other companies? It compares quite well, actually. Um, they have a relatively minor set of uh, assets in the VAE, so they seem to have... Uh, kept the VAEs relatively light, as in not that much of the company is actually in the VAEs. The majority of the company seems to be outside of the VAEs, um, which then, of course, limits the, the overall risk exposure from the VAE structure. So VIEs aside, what about this issue and this scare about corporate governance in general? I mean, there's a n- recent news story that has just hit the press about Chin Yang Wu, the missing chief executive of embattled uh, shoemaker Ultrasonic. Uh, he had disappeared, uh, apparently absconded with millions of dollars in company money, but he's just resurfaced, denying it all. Should we be concerned? <laughs> you, you, I, I detect a chuckle. <laughs> We um, we should ask questions, surely. Yeah. Um, I mean, corporate governance in um, in the Chinese company has always been a little bit of a concern, and um, you know, you you tend to get very strong founders with very strong influence in a lot of these companies. But that's not unusual, especially for tech. Um, you'll have the same thing in Google and Facebook, right? So I, I think the the threshold for where tech investors get nervous about these things. It's a little bit higher, but certainly, like as an investor in Alibaba, you will have very little say as to the future direction of the company, and you have to be comfortable with that. You do have to be comfortable with that, indeed. I'm joined now by our producer Chris Oliver. Chris, are you comfortable with that idea? Well, I, I think the attention, in some degree, is focused on uh, whether Alibaba can live up to its uh, growth expectations. We know that the shares fell. 4.3% in U.S. trade last night. That's after the uh, bankers behind the deal uh, expanded the uh, share offering to make it the world's biggest IPO. I just want to put a question to Frederick now. Given that uh, you know the, the, the attention is focused on the growth of the company, uh, there was a story in, <coughs> excuse me, in the Wall Street Journal saying that Ali, Alibaba <coughs> has uh, very favorable uh, profit margins, but the big question is when it goes forward, can it actually sustain these profit margins, especially as it steps up competition in places like the U.S. and uh, emerging markets like Russia? Well, I think it's going to be hard to keep this type of profit margin going long term just because of, as you say, competition. And also they will need to invest a lot of money in, uh, in growing the company as they expand internationally and they expand, say, the, um, the finance part of the business that's going to be um, taking up some cash and uh, probably be a little bit of a drain on uh, the profit margins. I'm, I think it, it it would be naive to assume that they could keep this type of profit margin going for, uh, for a long time going forward. And you, you expect a bit of pushback from U.S. regulators as Alibaba looks more to the U.S., is that right? Yeah, um, I think it's an interesting situation where Alibaba essentially has uh, free reign to uh, to go in and do uh, any type of business they like in the U.S. And I think a lot of the American uh, internet companies are going to uh, start talking to the regulators and uh, saying, you know, well, we're not allowed into China. 
what's going on here and they're going to be pushing for some sort of deal there to allow them greater access into China, which I'm thinking won't happen. So it's a bit so, of a uh, regulatory so uh, trade-off going on. Yeah, excitement. And in, in the wider scheme of things, as the uh, China slowdown takes uh, some precedence in, in investors' minds, how are these Internet companies going to compete uh, if consumption is slowing? What's your take on the growth prospects for Internet companies in China? Well, it's important that we separate the GDP growth from the growth in consumption and uh, consumption patterns. Um, China and the e-commerce sector can take a slowdown in GDP as long as that is coupled with a rebalancing of the economy towards uh, consumption. And uh, what we've seen here so far is that there's a lot of the new consumption that's uh, being created is going towards e-commerce. And there's a really, really big growth there, especially as the internet expands and we're getting more second and third and fourth tier cities coming in and uh, doing the shopping online just because you have so many better options there. So I, I think they can take a slowdown in the Chinese economy, actually possibly better than most other sectors, with the caveat that that has to be coupled with a rebalancing of the economy towards consumption. And I understand you have a view on VIP Shop. That's one of Jim Cramer's picks, along with Alibaba, as I start to do well this year. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's looking interesting. It's had a little bit of a tailing off recently. Um, I'm thinking due to two things. Probably, first, the investors have um, sold it off a little bit to be able to buy into the Alibaba IPO, and then we're also likely seeing a little bit of nervousness about the uh, corruption crackdown for a company selling mainly luxury products. Um, and there's been a little bit of a differing taste in, um, in luxury goods and the corruption crackdown, which we've seen in the results of a lot of the luxury shops back in Europe. So there's a lot of nervousness now to see what will actually happen here. Um, I think that's likely to not be such a big deal for VIP shop. Um, they have a fairly flexible um, site and base that they can uh, they can build off of. And if luxury tastes change in China, they're likely to be very early in knowing that, and they can rejig it. Also, a lot of their offerings aren't actually the type of luxuries that you would see a crackdown on from the um, from the officials. Okay, There's thank not you. Many Rolex Thanks, Frederick. Unfortunately, a lot of good stuff there, but we're out of time as usual. So, thank you for joining us. That is Frederick Ockvist of China Rai. Well, we'll be back uh, very shortly to talk about coconut water in a bottle. That's right after this message. When buying a first-hand residential property, always find out about a mortgage loan first before signing the preliminary agreement. Don't accept a loan from an estate agent to pay the deposit if you don't sign the. Agreement within five working days after signing the preliminary agreement, you'll forfeit your deposit, which is equivalent to 5% of the purchase price. The Sales of First-Hand Residential Properties Authority reminds you, think before signing. Smart first-hand home buying. Well, the benefits of coconut water as a natural isotonic booster has been an open secret amongst health-conscious consumers in the U.S. for years. Meanwhile, in Asia, it's been a relative stranger to consumer shelves until now. Jane Gutschalk saw the anomaly as an opportunity, and she launched her own coconut beverage business in 2011. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on Money for Nothing. So... 
Jack's Cocoa is your company, and uh, coconut water in a bottle. Is this a trend? Is it a fad? Or is this something to stay? Um, I think uh, the benefits of coconut water are nothing new, um, especially here in Asia. Um, and with the growing trend, I think it's um, now one of the uh, fastest growing beverage sectors globally now. Um, added to that, it's a, it's a natural product. And I think in a world now where um, increasingly we're faced with issues of what um, is added to our food and uh, beverage, um, I think I think it will it only increase in popularity from here. So this is a good point that you bring up, that coconut water is not anything that's new to Asians here uh, and to yourself. You grew up in Indonesia and India. I mean, you've obviously had plenty of coconut water. I can see where the inspirations come from. Why have you chosen to give it to people in a bottle? Um I think the idea came um, a few years ago. We were in a restaurant and uh, saw coconut water for the first time on a menu. And um, so we ordered a glass and um, or, or a package, and it came already poured into the glass. And having researched the market, um, noticed that there were only um, packaged coconut water in very gaudy, sort of bright um, packages with palm trees and beach scenes and, and the like, and nothing that was actually aimed at the the F and B market, the higher end sort of restaurants and um, and hotels and bars. Um, and that's when we came up with our, with the idea with our partners here in in, in Hong Kong um, that we would give the market. Um, uh, a higher end um, positioned product that you could actually have on a table in a restaurant um, or at home instead of you know the classic still or sparkling water um, and which is great you know for people who are not drinking alcohol or um, or just simply want a healthier option and and something slightly sweeter than than water but but it's still a natural product. We don't add anything um, to our, our product, no sugar, and, and it's very low in calories. Now, this is great news to hear that you actually add nothing, but it is flash pasteurized, or HPP, um, which means high-pressure pasteurization. Indeed. Is, is that right? So it's, it's flash pasteurized just for... It is. Uh, it is. Okay. We're very careful with our, with our, um, with our processing. Um, and I think the point being is that you need to retain as many nutrients um, as you can. And I think with the process we use, we, we manage that very successfully. Um, all our analysis is done post-pasteurization. Um, so as you can see, um, anybody reading the back of the label um, will see that there are plenty of nutrients that we still retain. And, and the point is you need, to, you need a clear, crisp um, tasting fluid. Um, and I think we, we've managed that very well. So I reached out yesterday to an Ayurvedic doctor, Dr. Tavaling Krishna from Orange County Ayurveda in India, who says that the moment you take coconut water out of the shell, it changes its chemical nature and it no longer has a cooling post-energetic effect uh, on digestion that it has when you have take it straight from the source. I also reached out to Sonali Figueres, who is the uh, CEO of a company here called Green Queen, and she says that HPP or flash pasteurization still lowers nutritional content, even if it is preferable to heat pasteurization. Lots of debate on this, but labels can be misleading to consumers as the focus is on the fact that HPP uses no heat as if that is equal to it being fresh. What are your thoughts in, a, in terms of value for money for the consumer? <laughs> well, I think any processing is, is, is going to um, uh, affect 
the natural sort of enzymes of, of the product. But what we aim to do at Jack's Coco is to give you and the consumers the best um, possible um, product uh, post-pasteurization. And I think we've, we've achieved that, as, as I said before. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Jane Gottschalk, who is the CEO and founder of Jack's Coco. The weather forecast for today will have sunny periods. It'll be dry during the day. The temperature right now is 26 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 76%. This is Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra-Hura and now it's time for the half hour news with Samantha Butler. Thousands of tertiary students who are boycotting their classes plan to take their fight for democracy to Tamar this morning, where a rally is planned for outside government headquarters. Yesterday, the Federation of Students said 13,000 people attended a rally at the Chinese University to mark the beginning of the week-long boycott. The Rockefeller family, which made its vast fortune in the oil industry, says its multi-million dollar philanthropic organisation is planning to divest from fossil fuels and reinvest in clean energy. Stephen Hines, director of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, said it may take some time to stop funding in fossil fuels altogether. We're not divesting 100% tomorrow. We are looking at literally at each investment, understanding the implications of how to get out of them, looking at what the right timing is to exit from them, and then developing a very sober plan so that we meet our goals. A court in the United States has found the Jordan-based Arab Bank liable for knowingly supporting terrorism by transferring funds to the Palestinian militant group Hamas. A jury decided Arab Bank must compensate victims of a number of attacks carried out in Israel and the Palestinian territory.